Gracious God, we pray that you would speak to us now, and that even now you would be opening up our ears that we might hear you, opening up our minds that we might understand, opening up our lives that we might be changed. Lord, challenge us and invite us to a deeper relationship with you. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. This past week, I was reading a book called The Comfort Crisis, and in it, the author heads out into the Alaskan Arctic, and then he keeps going. Uh, He and two others are flown far out and then are dropped off quite literally in the middle of nowhere in the tundra for a month. Among other things, he finds a solitude and a silence that he never could have imagined, let alone experienced, back at home. I want to read a few excerpts because I think it's valuable for us to picture this and, and even try and experience a moment of it in our lives before we get to our passage today. On their way out, they get flown halfway and dropped off on a narrow ice patch, but that plane is, is too big to go how far they're actually going to go. So they, they leave them there on the ice patch and then a smaller plane, and by plane, it wasn't in quotes, but um, the word duct tape was used multiple times as wings. So another plane has to come pick up half of them, so two of the three, and fly them farther in and then come back and pick up our guy, which means our guy is just kind of left there for a while. And he writes, there's alone, like, I need to be alone, I'm going to my room. And then there's the alone I'm now experiencing, standing in the Arctic tundra with no human around me. I am surely the only person in this six square miles or 12 or even 18. I've never experienced alone like this. I could scream and shout and hoot and holler and no one would hear. I could shoot up a flare or or waft smoke signals into the great unknown and no one would see. I could get naked and do rain dances while singing Buck Owens at the top of my lungs and no one, not a one, would ever have a clue. This is the farthest away I've ever been from other people in my entire life. Take a moment to imagine that kind of solitude, where where nothing you do will be influenced at all by any other people or have any other influence on any other people at all, but also where maybe you have to get to know yourself a little bit better. But we're not just talking about solitude, we're also talking about silence. One morning when they're finally at camp, he wakes up a little extra early, he steps out of his tent, and he writes, I hear only the muted churn of a distant river and my own breathing. I stand there for a long time listening to the nothing. Eventually I pick up another sound, it's my heart beating. It begins to thump in my ears. Then I can hear the inner working of my lungs. 
This is undoubtedly the most quiet I've ever experienced. Then I pick up another sound. It begins gently, but it's gaining volume and coming in fast. It's a low whooshing sound. I turn to find it, uh, nothing. It's getting louder, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. I look up, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. A raven is flying directly overhead, her coal wings able to, in all that silence, produce a sound like an Apache helicopter. It's not that the wings of the birds in our cities and towns aren't making this sound, or that the rivers, winds, and wildlife everywhere don't admit their own sort of music. It's just that so much of their sound is drowned out by all the noise. Again, take a moment to imagine that kind of silence where you could hear your own breath, your own lungs, your own heart. If you're like me, you are both drawn to these images and repelled by these images almost at the same time. There's something peaceful about these images, something that, that we long for, and yet there's also this, this underlying unease when we actually think about ourselves in those situations. Because for most of us, this kind of solitude and silence have become so rare, so foreign, so, so strange, which is part of the reason why I think we're all so bad at this now. There was a study done at the University of Virginia, and they found that a quarter of women and two-thirds of men would rather shock themselves than be alone. Many of us would rather experience electrocution than solitude. So it's going to be rough if I'm going to talk about solitude today, and two-thirds of the men and a quarter of the women, and we'll let that stat just, we'll just put that somewhere over there for a minute. Um... Most of the guys would rather plug themselves into a socket than do what I'm talking about today. And the same is true of silence, though it's different. When you put people in an actual sound-shielded room, the first thing they feel when they walk in there and all of the AC, all of that extra sound that you don't even hear anymore, the white noise, as all of that is stripped away, the first thing that happens is they start to feel really agitated and uncomfortable and disturbed and afraid before eventually settling back down and even experiencing a kind of, of peaceful resetting of what sound should sound like, of what should be normal. What if we were built to need solitude and silence in order to reset and relearn and rediscover not just ourselves but God? If that's the case, then, then we may have some work to do. But let me back up. In our new sermon series, we are looking at the lifestyle Jesus leads in the hopes that we could have a life more like His. Uh, we read an excerpt last week that said, we read the stories of Jesus, His joy, His resolute peace through uncertainty, His unanxious presence, His relaxed manner, and how in the moment He was, and think, I want that life. We hear His open invite to life to the full, and think, sign me up. 
We hear about His easy yoke and soul-deep rest and think, gosh, yes, heck yes, I need that. But then we're not willing to adopt His lifestyle. We want His life, but we're not willing to adopt His lifestyle. And so in this new series, we're taking a deeper look at that lifestyle. And more specifically, the disciplines that Jesus practices as part of that lifestyle. Alas, for too many of us, there's simply no room for us to add anything else. Our lives are simply too full, too stuffed, too busy. Sure, sure, I'd love to pray more or study more or serve more, but, but my life is so full and so stressful and so loud that these things just get pushed aside, forgotten, and drowned out. But that being said, there's another type of discipline that Dallas Willard calls disciplines of abstinence, where instead of putting something new into our lives, we're taking something away from our lives. So think solitude, think silence, think fasting, frugality, sacrifice. Because our real challenge might be that our lives have simply become too cluttered, too crowded, too comfortable. I wonder, could these disciplines help us to live the lifestyle of Jesus better? And so during this season, we're looking at these spiritual disciplines and then also throwing in a couple of the disciplines of engagement, Bible study, prayer, things you would have to add to your life, because sometimes they get paired together. Often in the Bible, when you read the word fasting, you also read the word prayer, as if those go together. Sacrifice often goes with worship. Solitude often goes with study. And so we'll focus on these disciplines of taking away, but then we'll also throw in one that maybe we could add. Okay, all that is background. I would finally invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 13. Matthew, chapter 3, verse 13. And we will just jump right in. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God 
to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Amen. A whole bunch of different little vignettes there, and I want to tie them all together a little bit, but let's make sure we understand this. Uh, first, we begin at Jesus' baptism. Jesus comes to John seeking to be baptized. Unsurprisingly, John is a little hesitant, doesn't feel quite worthy to baptize God's Son, but it's what's supposed to happen. He relents and he baptizes Jesus. It's helpful just to connect some of the imagery here of baptism, especially with Jesus. Remember, baptism is not only kind of the imagery of cleansing, it's water after all, but another part is that as you go under the water, you are dying to your old self, and then as you are brought back out, you are brought reborn, if you will, into a new life. For a Jesus, the imagery goes deeper, of course, as it's already pointing to His death and His resurrection. And then our passage gets strange, because it's after the baptism that the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness, into the desert, into the quiet place, in order to be tempted. Did you catch why that might be strange? The Spirit leads Jesus into solitude and silence. The Spirit leads Jesus into a time of fasting and prayer. The Spirit leads Jesus out of the known and the noise. It's funny, we have a baptism and then we throw a party. Jesus is baptized and the Spirit leads Him away, but also towards a deeper awareness of and reliance upon God. Let's also not forget that this 40-day period is right before Jesus really kicks off His earthly ministry, just before He calls His disciples, just before He starts teaching, just before He heals and restores and redeems, He's led out into the wilderness, into the solitude and the silence, which seems important. Of course, while He's there, He's tempted. He's tempted towards food and bodily needs. He's tempted toward shortcuts 
He's tempted towards fame and status and popularity and power. He's tempted by a whole different kingdom. And yet apparently, he's been studying. Because through each temptation, he points towards and finds strength in the Scriptures. And when the time is completed, the angels attend him. And soon after, the, after this, after a bit of moving around, Jesus begins his earthly ministry. He begins to preach, and he begins calling his first disciples. But of course, today, what we are really looking at specifically is Jesus' disciplines. And there are several here, though the first few are all sort of connected. In our passage, we see the disciplines of solitude, silence, even fasting. And then we also see hints of another discipline because there's evidence of his study. And so, like last week, I want to spend a little extra time on that first set, the disciplines of abstinence, solitude, and silence. We'll, we'll do fasting in a couple weeks. Uh, and then I want to spend just the last little bit of time talking about the discipline of study. But we begin today with that discipline of silence and solitude, especially because if there are any of these disciplines that are foundational for our spiritual lives, it's these two. And if there are any that are the most absent from most of our lives, it's these two. Now, before we get too far into this, we need to make sure that we're talking about the same thing here. We need to understand what we're not talking about. Because some of us feel all too much silence and solitude in our everyday lives. Maybe the kids just moved out. Maybe we're, we've just retired. Maybe we've recently downsized. Maybe we're new to the area. And things feel a little too still, a little too quiet. But that's not the kind of solitude and silence that we're talking about. For others, when we hear that word solitude or the word silence, you feel a deep loneliness, a lack of life. And again, that's something different. That's not what we're talking about today. For others, you hear solitude and silence and you think about a vacation, maybe without the kids, doing nothing, responsible for nothing, focused on nothing. Or you think about a hike through the woods, maybe. Again, not really what we're talking about today. But if that's what we're not talking about, what then are we talking about becomes the logical next question. When we, when we talk about solitude, we're talking about an, an intentional regular practice of getting away from others in order to be more connected with God. An intentional practice, getting away from others in order to be connected to God. So just going outside doesn't fit the bill. But going out away from people in order to find God does. And there's some nuance there, but it's important. When we talk about the discipline of silence, we're talking about an intentional, regular practice of turning down all of the sound and the noise and the distraction in order to listen for and hear God better. And notice, similar to last week, there's, there's an inner component of these disciplines as well as an outer component. 
What we're really looking for is a deeper solitude and silence on our insides, on our insides, so that we can connect with God better. And the reality is that as we get better at this, we can even do this in the noise or in a crowded room. If we could, if we could get that deeper solitude and silence on our insides, it actually doesn't matter as much what's happening on the outside. But the other part of the discipline reminds us that this does have to manifest itself on the outside in order for it to seep into the inside. We, we have to have times with less people, less talking, less noise, so that we can cultivate a deeper inner peace and quiet, so we can cultivate a deeper listening to and for God. Which actually brings us back to this passage, because we need to see something, because I think sometimes we get this passage wrong. If, if you're like me, you've read of Jesus going off into the wilderness, but as He did, the way you picture this in your mind is He gets weaker and weaker every day. And then at the end of the 40 days, Jesus is at His absolute lowest, absolute weakest, neediest, loneliest, and that's when the devil shows up to test Him, which fits with what we would expect from the devil. But one author I read made an interesting point. What if Jesus was not at His weakest after 40 days of solitude and silence and fasting and prayer? What if He was at His spiritually strongest? What if it was all the solitude and all the silence and all of the time spent with God that then allowed Jesus to fight against temptation and the devil and prevail? What if that is why the Spirit led Him into the wilderness in the first place? God, knowing that Jesus was about to be challenged and was about to be starting His earthly ministry, and was about to be dealing with all of the things he would have to deal with, shored up Jesus' strength by using a time of solitude and silence. What if God wanted to, to strengthen Jesus through these disciplines? Even as we often conclude that we're too busy and our world is too noisy, what if God wants to strengthen and shore up us? I wonder sometimes, do we get this backwards? Maybe it's precisely because of all the, the chaos and, and cacophony that we need to put in times of quiet and alone. And let's not forget that this wasn't a one-time thing for Jesus. I mean, as we, try and be, as we try and become better disciples and as we try and do what Jesus does, let me just read a couple of verses for you for a moment. Luke 6, 12 says, One of those days Jesus went on, out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Matthew 14, 13, When Jesus heard what had happened, He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Matthew 17, 1, After six days, Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. Mark 6.31, then because so many people were coming and going that He did not even have a chance to eat, He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I could keep going, but you get the idea. This was a pattern that Jesus practiced. This happened often in Jesus' life. Sometimes because of the way we bounce around in, in, in the stories of Jesus, we miss this, this repetition. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And yet it's mostly absent from most of our lives. Now, of course, if you're like me at this point, your mind is starting to fill with excuses, but you don't know how busy I am. But you haven't seen my calendar. But you don't know how noisy life is in our house but you don't know how hard it is for me to find any peace and quiet in my life. And that's true. But that's also why this is a discipline. What's more, it's a way to make sure that our priorities and preferences are right in the first place. Resetting our different levels of what is important and what's not. Think about the maybe, even in our lives, we need to turn down the noise. We need to leave our common and comfort. We need to get away so that we can reconnect, so that we can recharge so that we can be restored. Again, notice all disciplines take work, but they all also leave us with more than we had before. Which briefly brings us to one more point and one more discipline because we also find that clearly Jesus has studied. Jesus didn't just get away. He didn't just create times of silence. He also does the work of study. He read and discussed. He, he learned and he memorized. He engaged and he wrestled. He, he made it important. Think about a situation in your own life. If you had a big test coming up, a big one, an important one, a hard one, one that you wanted to do well, one that you needed to do well on, what would you do? Well, you'd do the reading. You'd take notes. You, you'd make flashcards. You'd memorize the important parts. You'd, you'd find study groups. You'd, you'd review your notes again. You'd, you'd seek out experts. You'd ask hard questions. You'd hunt for good answers. You'd practice. And we do all of that so that we're not just familiar with the material, so that we don't just have to utilize the material, but so that at some point that material gets internalized. It gets in us. 
I mean, that's always the real trick of learning, isn't it? It's not just, uh, I need to memorize it for the test. It's, can I get that actually to seep in me, to change me? We're not just supposed to become familiar with the topic or even just be able to use it. We're supposed to have it in us. And this is what it means to study our faith as well. It's not enough that you've just read it. It's not enough that you've passed third grade Sunday school. It's that you've gone deep, that you're still going deeper, that you're still looking for more, digging farther down and in. Which is why we recognize how Jesus has studied. He has it at His fingertips. In the midst of temptations, after not eating for 40 days. And what's more, the the devil has a scripture ready for him as well, and yet Jesus doesn't get baffled by that. Well, I've got another one. This one's more important. It's not just that Jesus is God, though He is. What we see in this passage is He's studied. He's done the work. And he believes what he's studied. It's an authority for him. It's truth. This is what he trusts. This is where Jesus starts and ends, and it makes all the difference for him. And if that's how Jesus treats study, how much more should we? Solitude, silence, study. I wonder if we could follow Jesus better if we lived these disciplines more. Let's pray. Lord God, as as you know, our lives are not often quiet. And Lord, we're, we're not crazy about solitude either. Even if you are there in it, even if it helps us to be more aware of who you are and what you're doing, even if it helps us to hear your voice. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would challenge us a bit, that you would help us find some time, even in this next week, maybe just a couple minutes where we can get away, where we can turn off our phones, We can turn down the music. We can turn down all the voices in our own heads and around us. And we can just try to be more aware of you. Like Jesus. It's in his name we pray these things. Amen.